0: Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com.
1: Brewers, it's time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Chef and John Palmer, this is Brew Strong.
0: Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings, cretins. Well, at least you messed up this time.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> two for two. <laughs> ah, there you go. Mm,
1: that's cool oh. Well.
2: Ah, that looks like good uh, beer. What are you drinking?
0: Uh and drinking our California IPA. You know, it's it's funny because we're live on Facebook. People can ask uh questions as they will in the in the uh in the uh, the chat. The uh the comment section and uh, uh, Leaf is uh, he was asking. Uh, I've done a session version of the Good Books American Pale Ale, and it is going down with our friends like crazy. It's fantastic recipe, which I will never stop to brew. In the last show you had some uh, California IPA on the show, uh, Jamel. Would you share that recipe, maybe? Uh, well,
2: you know. Uh,
0: I think uh, I would be happy to to share that recipe. However, I'm thinking, you know, it, it would be a great addition to the second version of Brewing Classic Styles. Yes, I there's mm-hmm. there's where. So it's interesting, uh, you know. Uh, I I put my 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 heart and soul and life into in, into those recipes in in the first Brewing Classic Styles. Right. And there was some some chatter on uh, Reddit about, uh, well, you know, it'd be great to see another one or maybe you're not going to capture magic in a bottle a second time. I don't know. But I do know that there was so much left out of that first book. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure that that made it better. I think it kind of f- narrowed the focus. So, yeah, focus. Yeah. It was it like, Look, just brew these things. I think you know providing some of this additional information, plus information I've I've uh, garnered over the ensuing 13, 20, 14 yeah.
2: years. Oh yeah, uh,
0: since since uh, that was written,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I've learned a lot, and <laughs> and there's a lot that's changed in beer and ingredients. I have a lot to say.
2: Again, I wouldn't. I um, wouldn't do it.
0: I'm thinking I, I could throw in a lot of great new recipes. I think I could. Uh, fill those recipes out. I think I could explain why it is you're doing what you're doing with that recipe, and why and how you would change it, how you would tweak it, how you would, you know, how, how you would make it your own, but still stay in the style and and perhaps make it even more award-winning. The purpose of those recipes in that the previous book was these will win you awards. You know, yeah. go with these. Everybody's going to like these. You know, and if you're drinking with your friends, they're going to enjoy it more. So. That was kind of the purpose behind that. But, you know, I always felt bad about not including a lot more um,
2: background and uh, yeah, detail. Yeah, right? yeah.
0: Here's why, you know, we're choosing this ingredient. Here's the range for that ingredient. Um, you know, go ahead and do this, do that. But here's what you're trying to focus on you know and then providing maybe even more recipes versus just the one recipe it was kind of limited to one recipe at a time in there yeah. right i mean god bless ray for for making it happen in the first place and believing in in doing this book but he was also like look we're on a page count you can't you can't just you know throw a whole bunch of other information in there so the information got really
2: condensed on that so i,
0: I i'd love to do yeah.
2: that he did say it was the best manuscript that he had been, ever been presented so
0: really yeah yeah he didn't tell me that oh no well, he told me yeah. he didn't he didn't he didn't want, <laughs> didn't want me to get a swelled head <laughs> probably oh, that's jokes probably. on him <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah but that would be cool to do and, and as you say i mean styles have changed right. Ingredi- more ingredients different ingredients are available right right um,
0: ways of brewing a lot of ways of thinking have really yeah. really
2: really changed so um
0: i'm gonna uh, try and knock that out uh, as soon as I can. Uh, Leifel says he's drinking a couple of Nugnia uh, uh, one, number one hundred brewed from the episode from back in 2010 uh, on the uh, the can you Brew. It. Damn fine. Ah. There you go. Um. All right. So we're gonna do Q and A. Right. There's a couple ways you can get your questions in on this show. Uh, one is. To email our dear friend John Blickman at Blickman Engineering, uh, feedback at Blickman Engineering.com. Tell him how much you appreciate that he pays for the show. And then uh, ask him your question. And then it's, if he passes it on to us, guaranteed it's going to be on the show. That's right. That's right. <clears throat> Second way, email us, uh, Brewstrong at the Brewing Network.com. And you won't get an immediate response, but within 20 years, I promise you, we will answer your question. The third way is, uh, if you're listening live on Facebook while we're doing these shows, you can put your questions in the chat, and then we can answer them. And eh, you get a pretty good, you know, I, I think you get a 50-50 on that. Yeah, so, There you go. Um,
2: and at least Bevo reads them.
0: She does, but I don't think she's there right now. Oh. Uh, because... Uh, uh, I don't see I, 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 uh, 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 how do I see all the comments that have, have scrolled past unfortunately I don't so I missed somebody's question uh, well there you go that's the way it goes but luckily
2: people have <laughs> written in so we have email <laughs>
0: We're going to start off with one of these. And then, uh, yeah, somebody asked a question. I I didn't see it. It's not in the chat. So there you go. You should have emailed it. Or you should have emailed Blickman about it. Uh, Blickmanengineering.com. Fine people. Smart people. Uh, Let's see. Clayton was asking, I made a Saison with White Labs Saison blend 5, uh, 68. After fermentation and conditioning, I kegged and crashed, uh, forgetting to slowly crash while crashing. I also set my regulator to 60 plus PSI. So it'd carbonate quickly. My question is why after adding one ounce of biofine twice, two days apart, is my beer still hazy after four days? Should I use gelatin instead? I'm thinking is just whatever powdery strain of yeast that is in the blend is floating on the CO2 in suspension uh, at 60 PSI at carbon in less than a day or less to above normal saison carb levels. Does that make sense? Any other ideas? Does gelatin do better to clarify than biofine? If not, Uh, I'm not a vegan vegetarian. It's gotten a little clearer every day, but seems uh, four days near freezing is excessive.
2: Well, I'm wondering, is he simply every time he pours, is he sucking yeast up into the dip tube? Because that can happen. So even though it's settled, he's still sucking up haze when he pours. Um, That being said, I think gelatin would probably form more of a sediment mass than the biofine. I think the biofine is more easily disturbed. Uh, What's your experience with biofine?
0: Yeah, biofine, uh, you have to be careful with biofine. You can use too much biofine and you'll get what's called uh, fluffy bottoms. And the uh, fluffy bottoms, it it won't pack down tight. You have to use exactly the correct amount of biofine for the beer you're finding. It works quite well. It's a great product, especially if you need to be uh, vegan-friendly. Uh, but what you need to do is get yourself some cones and uh, in your lab, uh, take the beer that you're trying to find, and then try different dosing levels. And what you'll find is... There'll be a level, uh, there'll be too, too little, which leaves behind a lot of haze. And then it'll get to a level where it's perfect. Beer drops brilliantly clear. There's a nice tight little pack at the bottom. Uh, and we all want a little tight pack at the bottom. Uh, that's, that's our ideal uh, in the brewing industry, a tight pack at the bottom. And, uh, and then as you, as you increase your dosage, uh, it starts becoming a fluffier and fluffier bottom. I know some people are are cool with a fluffy bottom, but mm-hmm. you know, really, what you're shooting for is a tight pack at the bottom. Uh, and, and and as it gets fluffier, it also tends to not take a lot of stuff out of solution. So I think you know a couple of things. I think you know you're right, John, that you may be drawing off some yeast and other uh, sediment there. Gelatin tends to, even if you put too much, form a nice tight pack um and you know end up being like a like a brick at the bottom and does not tend to uh, have fluffy bottoms in that problem so and gelatin tends to pull yeast out better than uh, biofine does biofine tends to do much better on um polyphenol protein, yeah protein tannin complexes uh and not yeast so if it's yeast that's in there um yeah, gelatin is your gelatin's your go-to. So um, I think that, I think, you know, four days uh, at freezing, I, I don't think, you know, you're going to see when, when you're talking about fine yeast, uh, I don't think that's going to really make any difference. Um, you need, to, if you're talking about the yeast, you want it to get into kind of a shutdown zone, a flocculation zone, right? And uh, what happens is, um the yeast uh, have decided to flocculate and going colder does not make them flocculate quicker it makes the liquid more dense and actually slows the drop from top to bottom uh, in in a colder liquid so it can actually inhibit uh that the yeast are going to drop so if you just give it time even at freezing it'll eventually reach the bottom it just takes time. And keep in mind that, you know, especially in a tall, slender uh, tank in a brewery or in a corny keg, the top may be brilliantly clear, but what's happening is all that is falling down and becoming more and more concentrated towards the bottom of your tank. So you may be drawing off, you know, hazy stuff and you've got a very clear, um, Apparently, Top a layer, there.
2: but a hazy bottom there. layer.
0: Right, right. Uh, so uh, you cannot judge the entire tank based off of um, based off of that. All right. For some reason, I lost my video. I don't know what the hell's going on. This is this is. Uh, I said something bad about somebody, and now I'm getting screwed for it. All right. So uh, good good question, Clayton. Hopefully, we answer that for you. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll have more of your questions right after this.
3: On top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20 gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your Brew Easy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The Brew Easy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your Brew Easy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new Brew Easy all grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new Brew Easy
1: back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer this is brew strong
0: all right we're back we're uh answering some of your questions here live on uh, facebook brew strong um if you had a question and we missed it, just ask it again. There you go. Yep. Just post it in the chat. We'll be happy to do it.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Ah, there you go. Uh, Robrio has asked uh, for the benefits of trube and fermentation. He says, "Greetings from Brazil." One of my favorite places. You've been how many times you've been to Brazil now? Oh, probably nine. I think. Nine. Nine. Yeah. I get asked every year, <laughs> every year. It's like, sorry, conflicts with this. Sorry, conflicts with that. Uh then uh, finally they go like, We'll ask you a year in advance. I'm like, wise move. Oh yeah. no pandemic, can't do that. <laughs> yeah.
2: I think I've even been there uh, I think three times in one year.
0: There you go. Um, Mike Schumacher is also saying, uh, Jamel could write a recipe book just on his beers posted on the confessional at Heretic. Any great ones? There are a lot of new recipes that uh, I've developed over the years and fine tuned uh, to uh, uh, really be popular. So I would be happy to include every last one of those. See, the thing is, we do brewing classic styles again, it's a new book. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like Encyclopedia Britannica. It's going to be one massive freaking book. It's going to be a a, a big chunky book, and to put all that paper in, you know the uh, the publishers aren't going to be happy. But I don't care at this point. I'm just going to. I, I think I
2: they'll I they'll look the the likely popularity of said book, and they will have no problems with our page count.
0: I, I, I just don't care at this point. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And that's what, what's yeah. going to happen. Um, all right. So, uh, Rodrigo says, uh, in the sulfites show, uh, Jamel said that the uh, he thinks the benefits of taking some tube to fermentation, the fermentation vessel comes from the nucleation points and the smaller concentration of CO2. So my question is: Is there any way to imitate this without oxidizing the beer, like a stir plate? Are there any disadvantages of leaving some tube in the fermenter? Is dissolved CO2 a problem in fermenting under pressure? So Rodrigo, first off, this is three questions, not one, and you're limited to one question in, uh, per email. So you want to separate those out in the future. But I think they are three excellent questions. John, when you want to uh, tackle any one of these, Uh, is there a way to? uh, All right. So, first off, I will say yes. Um, When you have minimal trube go in, you still have 10, you know, if it looks clear to you, there's 10, 20% is trube. You know, it's still in there. It's in the solution. I mean, it's, you know, broken up, um, you know, unless it looks, you know, Crystal brilliantly clear, um, which it doesn't. Uh, you have trube in there, and it's vastly more trube than the yeast can use to supplement their 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 ste- sterols and their lipid lipid layer that protects them. So it's it's just not that. It is the fact that there's nucleation points. If people can prove me wrong. Go ahead. Uh, I I dare you. Um. But it's just logic tells you that. You know, Occam's razor on the on this one. Uh so the question, is there any way to imitate this without uh oxidizing the beer, like a stir plate? Could you put your your carboy, drop a big old stir bar in there and put on a stir plate?
2: I think this is a case where a concern or you know a factoid has been taken to an extreme. I don't think there's any real need to put a carboy on a stir plate in order to, you know, push extra CO2 out of solution. Um, I think, you know, typical average amount of tube, everything's going to work out fine. Um, yeah. And the, we've talked, we talked last time, last week about, you know, the fact in very tall cylinder conicals, you have, Higher hydrostatic pressure at the bottom, Mm -hmm. greater solubility of CO2 due to that pressure, therefore more yeast stress uh, due to that higher CO2 concentration. Homebrew scale, not an issue. There's just not enough pressure to make up a a concentration differential. So, um, yeah, I don't don't think there's a real need to throw a carboy on a stir plate. But yes, you could. And it doesn't have to be a big stir bar. Even a one-inch stir bar will provide enough motion uh, in the absence of yeast activity to, again, agitate and and cause nucleation and growth of gas bubbles.
0: Well, and I'd be very careful about doing this because uh, the the beer that we know today that we love... The presence of CO2 acts as a suppressor to yeast activity. If you get rid of that, you're going to encourage, uh, you know, some of the suppression of the yeast and some compounds that are produced. I I think maybe you're helping the yeast ferment. Are you helping the yeast produce better beer? I doubt that. Um, I'd be very careful of that. I think you're going to end up um, producing flavors that you don't want. So, yeah, you know, I I, I would just be careful about that.
2: Yeah, we are, we are in the fermentation environment. We are dealing with an ecosystem, and it's it's much the same kind of argument as you say. Well, you know, wouldn't the oceans be a better place if we got rid of all the sharks? You know, no, No. because that is the ecosystem. That is, you know, Mm -hmm. it there it is in balance. And it, you know, works because of the sharks being there. Mm-hmm. Same way with the carbon dioxide in the beer.
0: There you go. Uh, any disadvantage to leave me some of the troop in the fermenter? Um, you know, uh, my my take is, one, you know, you might get less yield overall. Who knows? Or maybe you get better yield. But uh, stability may suffer with carrying over a lot of the fatty acids that are present in the troop.
2: Yeah. Excess trube. Yeah. You could have stability issues with excess fatty acids. There you go.
0: Mm-hmm. Is dissolved CO2 a problem in fermenting under pressure? Well, no, that's the reason why you ferment under pressure is to increase the, the dissolved CO2. And what that does is uh, suppress yeast activity. So you can ferment a little warmer, um, again, you're you're kind of messing with perfection here,
2: John? No, I agree i I think it's it's a pretty good system. Y- yes, you can ferment under pressure if you want to, as Jamil says, it is um, by doing so, you will suppress semesters. You can ferment a little bit warmer as a result and get uh, get a similar profile. Uh, to, you know, um, different conditions, but, um, you really don't need to push the system around like that. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: All right. Leaf is asking, uh, how are the stats on cold crashing these days? Uh, about the, the production of esters by rapid cold crashing, uh, I talked about this in the yeast book. He says, uh, all right, so yes. Uh, so he, here's one of the things. If you are cold crashing a beer, if you take a beer down rapidly, or if you take yeast down rapidly in temperature, they will, exp- I've seen a, a study on this that, that uh, says they will produce, they will express far more ester forming compounds in the cold crashing as they, they release this in you know, protecting themselves from freezing. Essentially. That's kind of mm. what the yeast assumes going on. They suck it up and get rid of any, they abandon all baggage and they get ready for, you know, cold times. Mm. And so this is what happens under a, a quick cold crashing. If you're, you know, which may, it, we do that for, uh, ales here. We're fine with that. um, with uh, lagers, however, we take it down, uh, you know, three degrees Fahrenheit in the morning, three degrees Fahrenheit in the, in the, at night, and over, over the course of a day, we only go down six degrees Fahrenheit, and the reason for that is to prevent the yeast, that's about as fast you can bring yeast down and not uh, have them express these ester-positive uh, uh, compounds. So that's why we do it, and I think that it's critical if you want to have a really clean lager to not cold crash it rapidly. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Gino asks, uh, what is the best way to make the syrupy, sugary, sweet, no lactose imperial pastry stouts?
2: Tons of crystal,
0: maltodextrin? What do you think, John?
2: He wants to make uh, a syrupy, pastry stout very
0: sweet pastry stout with no lactose
2: no lactose. ah Well uh, then in that case I would say high mash temperature high gravity. Um, you wouldn't want you wouldn't necessarily want to use any sugar adjuncts like you know P and Co or um, stuff like that uh, because those generally are sucrose type sugars with only a low percentage of color, you know, dark, uh, dextrins. Um, I think a high mash temperature and some crystal malts will provide the residual sweetness that you're looking for in a pastry stout.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, you know, avoiding simple sugars, um, or, you know, if you're going to make an Imperial go crazy on the, on the simple sugars, and, um, you know, to where your yeast craps out <laughs> and then the simple sugars are left over and then you you can make it uh, syrupy sweet. I think you want to avoid making truly syrupy sweet uh, beers. I, I, you know, sweetness, uh, we make one called Monster Cookie that I want it to taste like a chocolate chip cookie, which is sweet, right? Um, yeah. uh, it It has to be sweet. You can't not make it sweet, so um, we do that by, you know, uh, a number of factors, but it's not syrupy sweet. I think syrupy sweet's a mistake. Uh, let's see here. Carlos is asking, I have a lot of problems with my grain bed not staying compact while loudering. I have a rim set up and do a recirculation throughout the mash. Seems like at times the grain fluffs up and makes it almost impossible to get it to settle and set a grain bed. You just start with 10-minute dough in before I start the pump because this is something I had read recommended from the Blickman Tower of Power Manual. During this 10-minute dough in is when the grain seems to fluff up. Even if it does compact itself down, uh, later on during the louder sparge, when I slow the pump down, the grain bed will rise up and get really loose and grain will make its way into the boil kettle. Recirculation rate during the mash is Uh, 0.75 to one gallon a minute. I drop it down to a quarter to a half gallon a minute during the loudering. Is there something I might be doing wrong or is there anything I can do to keep my grain bed in place while doing the louder sparge into the boil kettle?
2: Is he running the pump backwards? Oh, well, well, who knows? I mean, uh, he should it, be, he should you should know, be drawing I, down I, through I the false not, bottom.
0: I did not think about that, but that could be the case. I mean, it could be even that the hoses are connected uh, incorrectly, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you could mix up those connections. Uh, it's very easy to do. It's, not, uh, not a, it's a mistake all of us have made. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's certainly a possibility. I would check that. Just check everything because it doesn't sound right. If you have any liquid, even just uh, uh, you know, gravity flow out of a mash tun, it will draw down the grains. You'll have a fairly compacted grain bed. You won't see stuff floating up. Right. Uh, the liquid that you put in, I suppose you could you know, like shoot a, a stream of water in and stir up the top of the grain bed, but the rest of the grain bed still going to be pretty compacted. Yeah, so I think John may be onto to something here uh, that maybe the, the pump's flowing in the wrong direction.
2: Um, you know, the other thought is, I don't know. Um, hmm. I mean, I, I often, even when I'm brewing and doing recirculation with the pump going the right way, uh, I will have some grain floating around the top. But you know the the thickness of that floating grain is maybe a quarter inch. I mean, it's not a lot of material yeah, floating right, around. Right. So maybe he's just confusing that with a with a uh, thinking it's worse than it is.
0: Um, maybe this is the problem. It's it's hard to one one of the things, Carlos. You might do is send us a uh, a video of what you're experiencing, and maybe we can help that way. Yeah. Or you know, send us airplane tickets, and we'll come out and we'll we'll brew with you, and we'll see really what's going on. There you go. I mean, yeah, sounds like fun to me. I don't know. Yeah. that's where Carlos is. If he's if he's in like Bakersfield. Yeah, it's, it's actually it's it's not that far. So yeah. yeah, yeah. On the other hand, it's Bakersfield. So I mean, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Uh, quick break. Um, when we come back, we will have more of your questions. Right after this. Very good.
1: Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is brew strong. All
0: right, we're back. Um, we're taking uh, uh, listener questions, and uh, Carlos had mentioned his uh, kind of fluffy mash. Uh, Travis was suggesting maybe not enough liquid on the top of the mash. Um, <clears throat> I think less liquid. If you had not enough liquid, it would all lay down tight because there'd be nothing to float up. I think he's seen it float up in the liquid. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it sounds like either, sounds more like too much liquid. in
0: Yeah, but even then, you know, I don't see that. If you have any draw coming out of your mash done, it... Pretty much sucks it down every grain. It doesn't yeah. take much to to make a grain to to come down out of the liquid. Any sort of flow, and it pretty much sucks tight. I mean the the the, the standard problem is uh, that the uh, you know uh, you know flow is too much, and you end up with a stuck mash. Right. Uh, I don't I don't know if that's that's the issue. Uh, let's see here. Um, from tom he says can you provide some tips on how to pitch the right amount of yeast with a starter i enjoy making belgian beers with a uh, noticeable yeast flavor which from what i've read requires a pitch rate of around uh, 0.5 to 0.75 cells degrees plato mill or, Uh i always use liquid yeast According to most calculators I've found on the internet, by the time I buy the liquid yeast, there aren't enough cells to reach that pitch rate. Yet, if I grow a starter and pitch the whole thing, I'm pitching well above my target rate. When I've used the starter, I've found the high pitch rate has yielded little to no yeast flavor. Important to note, I always brew three gallons of beer at a time as I'm the only beer drinker in the family. Any thoughts on how to hit the right pitch rate without buying a ton of additional equipment? All right. Uh, Tom, interesting questions, lots of questions. And this is, um, this is one of those things where, I mean, again, you have to control a lot of different parameters and you know, it may be the addition of oxygen, it may be the gravity of the wort, it may be the fermentation temperature, it may be the starting and finishing fermentation temperature, it may be, you know, nutrient related, it may be, you know, the strain related. There's a lot of different parameters here. But what I would do if you are so here's one thing about the the at least my pitch rate calculator was you can't assume that a, a package of yeast was treated properly um, before you got it. So the, the thing that I do in my pitch rate calculator is make sure that you are going to produce a well-attenuated beer that is properly
2: fermented. So more attenuation rather than... Well, if it's
0: going to air, it's going to air on the side of more when yeast is
2: old. Yeah. Right? Right.
0: If the yeast is fresh, um, you can go less. And that's what it does. Uh, The the point is, trust it. It will always get you some some really good beer, you know, um, fermentation-wise. If you're lacking in flavor and you're using that, I would you know, perhaps look at a different strain of yeast, or I would look at, you know, if, you know, if you are in, uh, for some reason,
2: um, if you're, no, no. If you're in Akron, Ohio? (laughs) Uh,
0: So, I mean, you just have to be careful. Um, You know, if you, if you have good provenance on your, on your yeast health, then I would, you know, uh, you know, assume it's more healthy. And so what I would do if I was Tom is I would try just pitching whatever yeast direct. I don't think he is wrong on the half to 0.75. I think, again, it depends on the work composition and oxygen and other things. Um, one of the things he's talking about Belgians. If he's um, if Belgians tend to be higher gravity, and here's one of the things that can help with the Belgian beer, is go ahead and do your pitch rate. But if it's 1080 or above, or even you know, kind of around there, it's it's not a hard and fast rule. It's, I say 1080, but that's generally where it starts. Maybe a little lower, maybe a little higher. Um add another dose of oxygen, you know, wait eight hours, 10 hours, 14 hours, add another dose of oxygen. A couple of things are going to happen. It's going to attenuate more, Mm -hmm. which once you reduce those background sugars, a lot of the flavor will tend to pop. If you're not getting full attenuation, uh, like it should with some of these Belgian beers or Belgian yeast, um, you will it will mask the, uh, the 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 character of fermentation. The other thing about adding a little bit of oxygen, you're going to promote certain flavors and compounds, and I think that that may be the secret here for Tom. Um, try that additional dose of oxygen if you're not already doing it. Maybe you already is. I don't know. Um, but I would I would uh, try adding another dose of oxygen i would try just starting with the the yeast as you get it from the manufacturer i would try um one of the other things is buy a copy of the yeast book in there um if i was 100 sober at this point i could tell you exactly how to, <laughs> how to check yeast concentration with uh without uh, much equipment at all uh, it was uh, i can't remember the exact numbers but if you uh, you can dilute yeast to where you it just looks hazy in a test tube. Then it will. you can assume that's a certain concentration of yeast, and then you can um, kind of go from there. problem is it may not be viable yeast. So I, th- I think the thing to do, Tom, is not buy equipment, but just try a batch with the yeast as it comes. Try and see this is another thing I need to do. I need to get rid of the brewery so I can do uh, more <laughs> yeast calculations. And I've got some brilliant ideas for yeast calculators that nobody else has even thought of yet. Um, And uh, also a new book, a couple of new books, another yeast book, another brain class. And I got another book. Uh, I got three. I got three that I need to do. And then,
2: um, yeah, I think. I have a suggestion too. Yeah, there you go. Go for it, John. How about Open fermentation. One package of yeast, three gallons, open fermentation. Now, which would mean covered, but not sealed with an airlock. So (laughs) the the beer, the yeast would have this access to oxygen. And uh, I think many Belgian strains are actually used in open fashion in the old country. There you go. Uh, all
0: right. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mike Shoemaker was asking, uh, Jamel, uh, can you give specifics on your quarantine quad? OG, FG, hot blend, three thirteen point six ABV, knock you out, tastiness. Uh, quarantine quad, all right. So I don't have that in front of me, and things are getting hazy at this point. Uh, email me and I'll, I'll give you the recipe for quarantine. All right. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, we will have more of your questions
1: right after this. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong.
0: All right, we're back. Uh let's see here. We answer Tom's question. Gino is asking, uh, "What brewing classic style recipe do you hate the most?" Now, after all the years. <laughs> Ooh, good that's question, a good one, Gino. I don't know.
2: Uh... I mean, it would for me. It'd be as style that I don't care for, which would be the Rogan beer, but, uh, you know, I don't have the same ownership of the recipes that you do.
0: I would uh, all right. So all the recipes are really, really good. I would tweak a, a few of them. One would be perhaps the Lambic section. Okay, because I've got 10 more years experience or 15 more years experience in the lambic section. And there are certain subtleties that are important, especially in fruited lambics that I've gotten really dialed in. The other would be um, not that I hate, but, you know, the IPAs and pale ales that have shifted dramatically over the years. Right, so there's you know the New England IPAs. There's you know much. Of, there's, there's just picking one IPA recipe to put in yeah. a book is a giant pain in the ass because you're know, like, and, and the way I decided which recipe went in, which recipe didn't, was well, this one won the most awards. This is the most award-winning. That was my you know if I was like, well, I really like this one better. No. The book is about how do you, how do you, you know, In awards, what's yeah. the most award-winning people don't want to know what my preference is. People want to know what the judge's preference is. So there were a lot of things where, um, you know, I, I you know, I, I had to make that choice. I think that, you know, there should be, you know, a book of a hundred IPA recipes.
2: I think Mitch did one like that.
0: Right. Right. Um, <laughs> and i and i think that that could be um you know uh, there there there's so many ways to do an ipa and so many different especially now with new england and some some of the other milkshake and you know there's just a lot um so i i i would i would add more of those i don't think i would get rid of the recipe that's in there i think i would add to it and explain more about what mm-hmm. you can do to truly produce uh, you know, a great uh, idea, varying styles, uh, and then I think the the whole lambic thing. I've just learned so much more about that, and done a lot more lab work on uh, all the uh, mixed uh, culture fermentations. That there, I think I could do a lot more. So, um, I think I think we'll. Yeah,
2: I. I think that was a good question because I, I know in my own book, yeah. with you, my Gene. recipes, um, I in going back and you I know, hate every one of the damn things. Don't yeah. You? <laughs> uh,
1: damn well, I,
2: I went back and and looked at my crystal malt amounts and uh, generally cut back. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm and I know in brewing classic styles, uh, Munich malt is a malt that frequently appears in your recipes. Um, uh-huh. Now that may be because you are looking for that little bump in character to wake up the judges, but uh, for example, would you uh, tweak any of your recipes that you can think of to back off on the Munich at this point in time
0: uh, I think that you know <laughs> you know having a quality You know, Continental Pilsner or something like that will tend to help with that. I do use Munich in some other beers like Twin and things like that to develop Mm -hmm. a richness of, of, uh, you know, malt character. It really does help. Um, So I I don't know that I would reduce the Munich. There were other beers like, you know, lighter Pilsners that had some Munich in it that I would reduce that Munich in it. Um, or eliminate it all because you know, having great fermentation, having great, uh, uh, you know, uh, base malt. Yeah. It really, really, really pops. But you know, I I, I would not uh, eliminate Munich in a lot of the recipes. I I would I would keep it there. I mm-hmm. might adjust the color of the Munich because Munich has quite a a, a range there. Tura says, uh, do you take any active measures to avoid reduce the amount of iron, copper, and manganese in the Wharton beer in order to prevent staling and prolonged beer freshness? laning agents, perhaps.
2: That's interesting. Um, I know they talk a lot about manganese coming from hops and dry hopping.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so your answer is, you don't know? Well, I mean, I oh, yeah. don't think any activate. You, yeah. You personally don't. I don't either. Um, <sighs> prolonging beer freshness is always, you know, once you're commercially brewing, I think that that's really, really critical. But, um, <sighs> you know, I think, you know, based on, you know, the majority of it's coming from the malt and where it was grown. And where, uh, where it's taking it up from the soil. Mm-hmm. So, you know, chelating agents, I, I, I really don't know. Um, we, we haven't done it in heritage. Uh, in the uh, Leap says, in the IPA book, um, it does not use dry hopping. It doesn't? No. Do I have it here? Uh, no. I don't have it here. I have it at home. Um, the IPA book? Yeah, do you think uh, dry hopping for IPA is absolutely needed at this point in time? The way the style has evolved. Well, I would I would say this that uh, the definition of IPA is dry hopped, so you have to have um, dry hops in IPA to truly be an IPA, right? I think that that is uh, you know kind of a, a a critical thing. You can't have IPA without uh, dry hopping. So right. I'm not sure that I, I can't imagine that the IPA book does not include dry hopping.
2: Yeah. Uh, I don't see it right now. I think it must be in the bathroom.
0: The holding the door open uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, instead of a squatty potty or You've got a stack of uh, books.
2: You know, if you need some reading material from time to time, yeah.
0: Uh let's see uh Mike says I'm in the same boat Tur. I'm on a well with high iron and manganese I mean how do you deal with that what would you suggest John uh would should they go to an RO system off of their well or should they look at key uh, lading agents or
2: yeah um there are specific uh treatments Um, You know, uh, resin bed kind of treatments or uh, green sand for manganese for another um, that are not, you know, uh, an RO system per se, but in more like a water softening treatment where you pull out those specific uh, elements, um, believe the rest of the water profile the way it is.
0: Okay. Oh, Leaf is saying the IPA in Brewing classic Styles does not have dry hopping. Well, oh. that's a piece of shit recipe, and that's the one that I would exclude from the uh, from the book. Or I would <laughs> adjust. There you go. Uh, but it, it won awards, so there you go. I don't know. Maybe you don't need dry hopping, but I think personally, I think in order to brew a true IPA, you have to have dry hopping of some some sort. Uh, let's see here. Jacob says, I came across uh, a question on hop extraction my way of measuring up to obtain my intended final volume. He's got a long um, description of his volume. His volume was off. His evaporate may be different he forgot about the dead space at the bottom of his mash ton, pre-voiled volume there was a lot of weird things going on in here uh, he wants to know how to estimate how this all comes out in the wash so he was uh, brewing his he 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 screwed up his final volume he added his hops he added more water he miscalculated this and that He says, um, a standard IBU equation only uses the final volume variable. However, I'm sure hot matter absorption for a beer that that went through the entire boil with a lesser pre-boil volume of eight gallons, which was artificially increased at the end, will yield more IBU than a beer that went through the entire boil with the intended greater pre-boil volume of 9.5. Note that my pre-boil gravity was unaffected. Hop utilization factor U as a function of pre-boil gravity should not change. My interpretation would be a gradient scale, where the IBU calculated for each volume represents the ceiling IBU for lesser volume, and the floor IBU for a higher volume. Is there a method assumption to better coverage on the actual IBU of this beer?
2: Well, that is an interesting question. Um, So he's he's wondering about, he's saying that the concentration of the hops in the lower pre-boil volume should yield higher IBUs, than if he had boiled at a larger volume, down to the same final volume. Mm,
0: I, th- I think I think what he's trying to get at is, uh, all right, given a given a a static amount of hops, let's say one ounce, sure, two ounce, whatever. If you the the liquid volume as the liquid volume changes grows greater for that static amount of hops, you are going to extract more bittering and more flavor, whatever. Yes? I think we can agree on that. Yeah. The more the more dilute your hops are, the more you're going to extract from them. Yeah. If you're down to an ounce of hops and a cup of, of, of wort, you're not extracting much of anything. If you're an ounce of hops and 10 gallons of wort, you're going to extract more from just because the solubility uh, is going to increase based off of the, the, the liquid present.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, the question also is by uh, increasing your wort gravity, you're impacting your hop extraction as well. So if your work gravity is lower and you have that same one ounce of hops and let's say five gallons, one ounce of hops, but gravity is 1020, uh, you are going to extract more than if the gravity is uh, 1080. Is that correct?
2: Okay. Um, Based on what I have read, Mm -hmm. and and this would probably be a good question for Scott Janish too, but based on what I have read, The cause and effect of uh, reduced IBUs with increasing wort gravity is due to the protein content of the higher wort causing more absorption of the alpha. Mm -hmm. And the sugar concentration of the wort doesn't really enter into it. Mm -hmm. The concentration of sugars uh, and the, the solubility... Of alpha acids are uh, independent because they are literally at milligrams oh. per liter. But but
0: and I'm with you. However, the way that we get more sugars in the uh, the wort mm-hmm. is by using more grains, and you have right. more. You have more protein. exactly, yeah, and, and so that's all what's, I'm what's taking
2: it up, yeah, and all I'm saying is I think you need to look at that as the cause, mm-hmm. not the sugar yes. aspect, yes. just to
0: one hundred percent, yeah, yeah, I'm with
2: it. Right. Okay,
0: so you're, what you're saying is if you were to throw in, uh, you know, a sack of uh, dextrose into the work, it's not going to take up as much uh you know of the hop uh you know uh, i don't think it's going to change your
2: ibus or, it's
0: not going to change your ibus that much it may some slight way but it's not going to affect it as if you used uh you know uh, another thousand pounds of base malt and did it that way because yeah. The uh, fluffy proteins and all that, uh, and the trube tends to bind to the hop alpha acids. Yeah. Take it out. The same thing happens with zinc. Yeah. Uh, you know. So trying to get your zinc levels right. If you if you're, uh, you know, if you if you're brewing a beer at eight uh, percent all malt, and then uh, you increase the uh, the ABV, uh, you know. Uh, to a uh, a ten or twelve percent beer, you don't necessarily need to increase your zinc because um, yeah. your your uh, tube taking out a percentage of the zinc,
2: it hasn't it's changed. Opposite, yeah, right. Yeah, and I think the the second part of what I wanted to say is that so looking at the IBU equation. This model that says, okay, utilization is based on this factor for gravity and this factor for time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's our model. That's what we all work off. But, again, keep in mind that that gravity model is not due to sugars. It is due to proteins and troops, probably. I mean, this has not been proven.
0: I'm I'm with you 100%. I've said over the years that all the models are crap. I yeah. mean they're good, and they we should use them, but understand that they are crap. That they have actually no basis in reality <laughs> as to what you actually end up with. If you once you once I had a brewery and I had a lab and I start testing IPUs, you know the whole it, it, it's all over the place. Yeah. None of those things.
2: I mean, so you stop w- calculating them, right?
0: Right. Well, well, I'll tell you the calculations, uh, a lot of them dead, dead nuts on, uh, in our shallow grave Porter flawless. I mean, the calculation, uh, says we'd be at 33 IBUs. We're at like 33, 33 33.1. I mean, we're within like, (laughs) it's perfect. It, Uh It is absolutely ideal. However, it's all over the place on other things. It, it, it hasn't taken into account modern brewing. Those, all those calculations are from the past. And I'm not sure we can we can really ascertain what, you know, we, we talk about Troub and the Yort, but it's also yeast, especially in these beers yeah. with a lot of more yeast present or other, you know, yeah. material present. It just doesn't apply anymore. I still think you should use it because it gives you a benchmark when you are developing right. a recipe right. to say, well, it's going to be around here. It's going to be around there. And then you can try going plus or minus, but, uh, you know, you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't, you know, count on that as being calculated. Uh, yeah. All right. We got one more question here. Uh, we're going to go a little long, but we're going to try and get this one in. Okay. Okay. Uh, Jeremy was asking, He says, John, the method I formulated below was essentially extracted by my interpretation of your methods from how to brew. I have great success no matter what yeast strain I use, but I have two questions. One, I understand to slowly decrease temps by two to three degrees a day, I assume he means Fahrenheit, uh, with the glycol chiller during cold conditioning. However, just to put heat wraps Which allow me to get from sixty four to seventy three in just three hours for my plus nine degrees diastolic rest, which normally takes three days. This rapid heating okay for the beer? If you're going up nine degrees three days, that's no problem. Uh, Two, if you see anything wonky or misunderstood from your books, would you below? Would you please correct it? Or add. I like to use this below to spread my method with other brewers. One, I use uh, three conicals outfitted with uh, glycol coils, three heat wraps, three Inkbird uh, hot cold dual temperature controls, and three tilt hydro uh, three yeah tilt uh, hydrometers. hydrometers to gauge probable gravity. He uses USO5, which has a recommendation of 64 to 82 degrees. Don't use USO5 at 82 degrees. 64 to 72, 64 to 74, 67 to 70 sounds better to me. The ad- adaptation phase, first 20, 12 to 24 hours, go negative 2 degrees from the lowest recommended, so 62 degrees. I think you go negative 2 to the absolute recommended. I think you maybe, and we've talked about this on the show, maybe you you start out a little lower than what your ideal fermentation is. The, the idea yeah. is to suppress diacetyl, acetaldehyde, things like that um so, so
2: 64 as opposed to 68 is what right. i would or think or
0: 66 yeah instead of 68 I, I, I could see that going 62 sounds aggressive and may produce more sulfur mm-hmm. high growth phase day two approximately uh six to seven 60 i don't know what day two approximately six to seven I don't know what the approximately six to seven means. When gravity's within uh point oh oh two from final gravity, oh okay, six to seven days in. Okay. I don't know what day two means then. Uh so at the end, you want it at the 64 degree. No, no, no. Again, I would pitch a little bit lower than your ideal fermentation temperature because once it right. gets going. Uh, you want it at your ideal fermentation temperature, which would be, in this case, maybe 68, 67, 68, 69. Uh, high growth phase, uh, all right, uh, maturation phase. Then the first part of the final stage, diastole rest, plus nine degrees. You don't need to necessarily go up nine degrees. If you start a little cooler, you don't need to go up so high at the end. Yeah. Uh, Going up really high at the end can produce uh, lysis characters. Um, So let's say 73 degrees for one to three days without the wraps takes three days to get up to room ambient. It's only really 24 hours at 73 degrees.
2: Again, you're not trying to drive a particular temperature, all you're trying to do is maintain yeast activity. Yes. And so uh, the the point being that, you know, towards the end of the fermentation, you don't want the temperature to fall. You want to yes. keep it active.
0: Yes. So don't start quite so cold. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, go in that, that average range. And then towards the end, as it wants to to rise and as things are finishing out not at point oh two but you know when there's uh, several degrees left maybe several degrees plato left mm-hmm. maybe at that point you take off the chilling and don't be so aggressive on the chilling let it naturally rise and yeah. maybe only rises to 70 degrees yeah it's okay if if if, if you're starting at 66 And when you pitch and then it quickly comes up to 68 over the next 24 hours. Great. And then like kind of cruise along at 68 and then take the chilling off and let it rise up to 70. Perfect. Uh, You know, the the yeast keeps active throughout that process. And that's what you want is active yeast because the active yeast, you don't want too active at the start because then it just goes nuts and throws off all sorts of compounds. Right. you want it active at the end where it will clean up a lot of the compounds that it's done. Um, Second part of the maturation phase is cold conditioning. That's where the yeast clean up my brew. No, the yeast. So cleaning up the brew is a benefit at the end, but you want it to be clean at the beginning. You want, you know, it's like trying to raise a child. If you raise a child with no control and the child's a maniac, when they're, teenagers or when they're adults that is not the time to straighten them up
2: right you right.
0: Need to do it from the beginning and beer is no different yeast are no different so you want to take care of that at the start um dropping temperature two to three degrees for Right. If you're dealing with lagers, I would be very careful about how quick you are dropping the temperature. I would not, uh, you know, drop it very rapidly because they can express some compounds that are uh, add to the esterification of the beer. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, everything looks good, except, you know, just don't be so aggressive in these temperatures. I think, you know, when we're talking about this. Uh, you know, we talked about, um, you know, being mildly less than the, the, the ideal fermentation temperature and being mildly more at the end. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, I think that replaces, you know, the concept of a diacetyl rest where you need to drive 10 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of in the past where you needed, you know, to be much higher. And that was because people did it at the end. If you do it during fermentation, if you hit it at the right points, if you hit your blocks where you know your initial temperature is not so bad, and then you kind of let it rise, and then it's warmer at the end, and uh, you know you don't allow it to shut down at the end, then I think you know you're in you're in good. Yeah, time.
2: guiding versus forcing.
0: Yes, there you go, and that's what we do here on uh, Bruce Strong. Is we I mean, you know, we guide and sometimes... The gentle you know, hand. Yes. Right. We, we apply a gentle hand. We try not to force it. But, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, we, we, need to, we need to be a little more forceful. You know what I mean? And knock you it out. Yeah. Yep. Eh, eh. <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, thank you to our fine sponsors, uh, especially Blickman Engineering, BlickmanEngineering.com. Again, I beg and plead that you send uh, John uh, at Blickman Engineering an email. You can reach him at feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com and tell him that you love him, that he has paid for the show, so you can have the wonderful experience of of hanging with John and I. Uh, He likes dad jokes, too. He likes dad jokes, right? He likes a lot of jokes. He is a funny guy. He is, he is, he is very funny very kind and uh, I think that's why he' he's decided to uh, uh, provide this to you and uh, thanks to our, our folks at uh, brute chatter uh, yep. check them out uh, send them an email uh, ping them on social media uh, good folks you would you would love those guys they love this uh, and they're they're just they're funny kind guys so there you go. all right uh, we will be back in a week if you're listening live. It's only a week, and we will be back with more of Brew Strong. Until then, everybody,
2: Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong, everyone.